Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 8th of February, and my name is Helen Freer. I'll be speaking this morning, first of all, to John T. Warris about all the latest market news. Norbert Rucker is also on the show today, and I'll be getting his latest thoughts on natural gas, given Joe Biden's recent decision to suspend new permits for natural gas terminals. And Nicola Jordan joins us today as well to update us on the latest news from the CIO office. But we'll start with the latest market news with Jonty. Good morning, Jonty. Good morning, Helen. Let's start with equity markets then. Overall, stocks had a good day yesterday uh, with the S&P 500 closing just shy of its uh, milestone 5,000 mark. Yes, yesterday was a solid day for equity markets, Helen. We saw stocks extend their rally on prospects that a solid global economy will continue to fuel corporate earnings. US equities finished mostly high in trading yesterday, ending just off their best levels. The S&P 500, as you mentioned, climbed 0.8% to 4,995.06 yesterday, uh, as the rally led by tech stocks powered ahead. This saw the Nasdaq Composite jump by nearly 1% to another all-time closing high, and the blue chip Dow rallied about 150 points. And following the steps of all major US equity benchmarks, the MSCI World Index of Developed Market Shares also climbed to a new record high yesterday. And staying on US equities, the share price plunges this week in New York Community Bank Corp have unsettled investors in recent days. Yes, so the collapse in the shares of NYCB and its downgrade to junk has increased investor focus on the struggling commercial property sector in recent days. But its stock also seemed to turn a corner with the share price closing higher yesterday after retracing an intraday decline of as much as 14%. So this could be seen as a sign that the renewed fears about US regional banks appear to be easing, Helen, which certainly helped support the tentative risk on tone in New York trading yesterday. A very positive day for US equity markets then. Let's speak about fixed income markets now, which saw the biggest ever auction of 10-year US Treasury bonds yesterday. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Yesterday saw bond prices edge lower ahead of the record $42 billion auction in 10-year US uh, government bonds, with traders closely monitoring the commercial real estate sector. The bond market stabilised somewhat ahead of yesterday's supply, which was sold at a lower than anticipated yield of uh, 4.093%, below the pre-sale rate of about 4.105, just moments before the bidding deadline. Uh, So this lower yield indicates stronger demand than traders anticipated, which will pacify investors after the recent rout and also indicates confidence that the Fed will eventually cut interest rates. The sale was one of the big three tests for the markets this week. Um, Tuesday's $54 billion auction of three notes also drew a lower yield than the one that had been predicted by trading at the bidding deadline. So that's a positive sign there too. What about other asset classes yesterday? In currencies, the US dollar index was down 0.2%, showing some weakness on the euro and sterling crosses, but was a touch firmer against the yen. Uh, Gold was little changed, retracing a small decline yesterday to trade at around $2,033 an ounce. Uh, Bitcoin futures were up 2.7% and WTI crude settled up 0.8%. So yesterday was a very light uh, day in terms of economic data releases, with perhaps the only data point worth mentioning being the US trade balance data for December, right? Yes. So according to a report by Bloomberg, the US trade deficit narrowed last year by the most since 2009, as the value of imported goods declined and the services surplus increased. 
Data from the Commerce Department yesterday showed that the annual trade shortfall shrank nearly 19% to 773 billion from a record in 2022, while data for December showed that the deficit in goods and services trade widened slightly from the prior month to $62 billion. So this overall narrowing in the US trade gap was the first in four years and reflects efforts by companies to limit the buildup in inventories and at the same time restrain demand for imports. Uh, not surprisingly, the data showed that American consumers' spending preferences continued to shift towards services and experiences following the binge on merchandise that we saw during the pandemic. And this smaller trade deficit also helped contribute to economic growth in the US, with net exports adding to US GDP for the past seven straight quarters. Let's move to Asia now, where we saw producer price index and consumer price index data out overnight from China. And it's not good news, is it? No, it's not, Helen. Uh, China's consumer prices extended their decline for a fourth month in January, while producer prices also dropped, underscoring deflationary risks facing the world's second biggest economy as it struggles to mount a solid recovery. Uh, and staying in Asia, we saw some more positive data out of Japan this morning, which showed that Japan's current account surplus grew for an 11th straight month in December as the trade balance swung to a surplus. So this is an encouraging sign, really, for Japan's trade-reliant economy. And how are Asian markets faring in today's session after these mixed data points? So Asian stocks are pretty mixed today as mainland Chinese equities rose in the final trading day before the Lunar New Year holidays. Uh, Chinese benchmarks climbed uh, largely after the nation replaced the head of its securities regulator yesterday. But weighing on the fragile sentiment was those consumer prices I just mentioned that fell last month at the fastest pace since the global financial crisis. Elsewhere across the region, a gauge of the region's equities climbed for a third day. The Korean Kospi and uh, Japan's Nikkei are both up by around 2%. The Hang Seng is down around 1.5% after Alibaba shares uh, fell 6.8% in Hong Kong as uh, revenues missed estimates. Elsewhere, markets in Taiwan, Indonesia, Vietnam and Pakistan are closed today. Just lastly, Jonti, what should investors be looking out for today? So we'll see inflation data out of Brazil and Mexico, along with wholesale inventories and initial jobless claims out of the US. And in terms of central bank action, the Czech National Bank is due to make its latest interest rate announcement, where expectations are for a small cut in rates by half a percent from 6.75 down to 6.25%. And later this evening, it will be the Bank of Mexico's turn to announce its decision on rates scheduled for after the Mexican CPI reading. Elsewhere, earnings season continues and uh, releases expected today include those from AstraZeneca, Siemens and Unilever, along with French banks uh, Crédit Agricole and Société Générale, which announced earlier in the week that it plans to cut around 900 jobs at its Paris headquarters. And before I go, a quick look at the futures board shows that the uh, US equities are set for a flat open around the zero line later today. And that's it from me. Excellent. Thanks very much, John T, for the nice roundup this morning. Thank you, Helen. Now, Norbert, good morning, firstly, and welcome. Good morning, Helen. Now, something that could bring some attention to commodity markets recently has been the Biden administration's pause in providing new export permits for natural gas. Why is this getting quite broad coverage, do you think, Norbert? 
Well, if you look back, the U.S. basically turned from an importer of natural gas uh, to one of the biggest exporters. It is currently the biggest exporter um, of so-called LNG, which is liquefied natural gas. Um, this has been adding to really the growth of this global gas market. And this growth of the global gas market is basically the element that really helped Europe to cope with Russia's supply cuts that we saw um, not so long ago and really avoid a major energy crisis. And this growth in this market also helps uh, Asian nations to basically diversify away from coal and meet in partly their climate commitments. So basically, if you're looking at an overall structural change in the energy market, which is really a major shift that happened over the past 10, 15 years, and basically this uh, moratorium, this temporary suspension, is just targeting this main element that we've seen there. Okay, the reasons for this moratorium seem to be environmental concerns, right? Could you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, sure. So it's environmental concerns, but to some extent also economic concerns. So basically the fear that a further increase in exports will impact uh, domestic prices. Um, but it's mostly about the environment. And there it's basically about the so-called methane leakage. So if you produce um, natural gas, sometimes some of the natural gas slips. And uh, this is the methane. And the methane, in fact, is a very powerful greenhouse gas. So if you have too much of this leakage, suddenly the credentials of natural gas being a cleaner fuel become a bit uh, questioned. But the thing is, this leakage doesn't really come only from natural gas production, but it also comes from oil production. It even comes from coal production, uh, because if you drill somewhere for oil, usually you get some natural gas alongside. Um, so basically, this shows you a bit that this, this push for this moratorium um, well, it's a bit about the environment, but there will be other means if we really would take care uh, about uh, suppressing methane leakage. So this overall decision should be rather seen in the context of the election year that we have and the positioning uh, in terms of guarding the, guarding the special votes that you want from, from certain uh, voters. Do we expect any impact on markets then and therefore on energy prices? Well, if you look at the United States, we're currently seeing a major construction boost of new terminals to export natural gas. Uh, this should basically start to bring additional natural gas on the market uh, starting next year. And this supply boost is for us one of the major elements why we see downward pressure on energy prices. It's a supply boost mainly coming from the United States, but also from other countries, from Canada, also from Qatar and uh, a few other places around the world. This moratorium doesn't really impact this ongoing supply boost because um, these plants have the permits to export, otherwise they wouldn't have started construction. It's rather about an, a next wave, a wave later this decade. Um, so overall, we do not see an impact on energy markets um, for the time being because of that, uh, because the supply boost is not affected, but also because we believe that this moratorium most likely is a very temporary one. So overall, we stick to our neutral views. For U.S. gas, we stick to our bearish views. For European gas, and we still believe that the overall energy situation is about to flip from shortage um, to abundance. We should pressure energy prices overall. That's it from commodities. Very good. Thanks very much, Norbert. Good to get an update from you on this this morning. Moving over to you now, Nicola. Good morning to you. Good morning, Helen. So... Overall, then, what do you make of the first few weeks of 2024? I think we can look back at a pretty solid start for multi-asset portfolios so far. But as said in earlier editions, we 
don't really like to think in calendar years, but rather in market cycles. In that sense, it is interesting to see how far we've come since the equity market low in October last year. Since then, the S&P 500 has gained more than 21% and the Nasdaq 100 has done even better with an advance of over 25%. Our optimistic assessment, which was very contrarian at the time, has materialized. The primary bull trend that began one year earlier in autumn 2022 is still in force. However, it's important to remember that markets, bull or bear for that matter, don't follow straight lines. The bull market needs to catch its breath from time to time. In fact, a consolidation of the last three months' gains would not only be possible, but even be welcome at this stage. What do you think could um, trigger a short-term correction then? It might sound a bit boring, but I think one of the most important data points to follow currently is, once again, the 10-year US Treasury yield. Following the stronger-than-expected job reports out of the US, it jumped almost instantly from 387 to 405, and then even to 415 at the start of this week, a rise of almost 40 basis points in just a few trading days. From a market technical point of view, the 10-year yield has a strong upwards resistance at 420. This is the level from which yields fell after Jerome Powell's conference on the 13th of December, when he confirmed that the FOMC was moving towards rate cuts. If we were to break decisively through this 420 level, we could very quickly move higher, and this scenario would provide the ideal excuse for a consolidation in equities. However, it is also likely that the yield fails to break this mark and retracts back to the lower to mid 3% level, even if the Fed cuts rates less than anticipated. Okay, how is this all reflected in your portfolios then, Nicola? Well, we are maintaining the current portfolio positioning with an overweight in cash and equities. Our cash cushion helps us to react quickly when interesting opportunities arise and our equity overweight ensures that we continue to take part in the market uptrend. However, to prepare for a possible correction, we are looking at the possibility of tactically hatching some of our exposure to major developed equity indices. Finally, the US dollar is holding up well so far this year, and we are still comfortable with our overweight in the greenback. That's all from my side. Very good. Thanks very much, Nicola, for joining us this morning. Thank you, Helen. Right, so that is all for today. Thank you again to my guest this morning and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show and you haven't yet subscribed, then don't forget to do so. And please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be back talking to more of our colleagues about what is moving markets. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.